Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. What's up, everyone? Um, welcome to another episode of Middle of the Pack podcast. I'm here with my two co-hosts. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm here with my one co-host, Charles. Say hi, Charles. Hey, guys. I'm also here with uh, Megan Beck. Say hi, Megan. Oh, hey. And we are back with episode whatever the hell number this is. Honestly, I don't know, but episode we 12. are a podcast. What's that? <laughs> episode 12. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Episode 12. There we go. Thank you for the correction there. <laughs> And we are, um, for any uh, new listeners, we are a podcast focusing around OCR, Obstacle Course Racing, for those who don't know that short little abbreviation. And we focus on, uh, the, you know, the middle of the pack. And that's what we kind of like to represent is the community and um, everyone in OCR as a whole. But today's episode is one that I'm actually really excited for. We are going to be covering obstacle difficulty um, because that's honestly been a kind of a little bit of a trigger point this year with a couple of races that have been go- um, going on, especially with, um, you know, series like Savage Race in terms of, you know, how hard is too hard and how easy is too easy and where is that line, right? So that's what we're going to be focusing on in today's episode. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a, it's been a little bit of a hot topic. I think it feels, mostly it feels like it's going to be a hot topic this year because we took that solid year off of 2020 and then getting back into it, uh, it seems like uh, definitely Savage Race was the one who kickstarted it, but obstacle difficulty has kind of been a conversation that's been off and on for a while now, especially once OCR kind of hit its stride with uh, obstacle innovation and then with the different type of weight carries. And it kind of always has hit this like point of trying to find the balance. And it always seems like every year the the beat just goes on, like people bring it up and then just gets pushed aside and everyone keeps racing but this year it's definitely a talking point that people are pushing for and we're trying to i think it's as ocr comes closer as a sport uh a recognized sport i should say because we are a sport once we kind of find that like balance point of like here's what the obstacle should be then if we can push for that we're going to be i think more of like a recognized and united sport really it's really tough to say what the obstacles should be, though, because, I mean, our sport is developed around the unknown. There is no set standard or rules for what something looks like or how things are going to work. And I think that, in part, is spearheading a big portion of this difficulty thing. And before we even go any further, like... I know you guys know I get shit for it. Um, we've seen other people get shit for it. With us coming off of Savage Race last week, one of the biggest things that I've learned is that the first rule of Savage Race is you cannot criticize Savage Race. And personally, I think that is dangerous, especially in such a young sport. We should be allowed to vocalize how we feel about a race without getting attacked for it. And I know people are going to listen to this podcast. They're going to tear it apart and take what we say out of context when all we are really trying to do is continue to progress the sport forward. We want to include everybody. We want to make, you know, the new up and coming racers feel like they belong, but also figure out a way to continue to make the sport the best thing possible 
for everybody from new up through the pros. So naturally, we do want to make sure that we are hitting on difficulty, but in no way is this us shit talking on any race brands or, you know, criticizing to the point where we are trying to put things down. We want to help to continue to make the sport the best thing possible. For sure. And I mean, that kind of goes with, you know, you can't please everybody, right? I mean, it's 2021. People are going to bitch about literally everything and anything and find ways to tear, you know, to take what you say, and, you know, basically, you know, what you said and tear it apart. You know, and I'm one of the biggest Savage fans there is out there, but even I'll say, you know, things that they need to work on, especially from last race, but, you know, that goes with any race series. You know, you're, you're going to have your fanboys and fangirls for every series that defend it, no matter what, whether they're, you know, actually right or wrong. And, you know, it literally just goes back to you can't please everybody. But, you know, like you just said, Megan, you know, we just want to see everything go perfectly. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where everything is perfect, but there's obviously steps to take in order to get further and closer to that goal. So 100% agree. Exactly. So then, guys, let me ask you, is there a line between innovation and impossible? Where are we at in this sport where we continue to see obstacles coming more and more innovative? And where is that line where things are just becoming too hard and we're now pushing into more of the Ninja Warrior versus obstacle course racing? Yeah, that's the that's actually something a couple of people brought up when I asked him about it was like they want challenging, but they don't want Ninja Warrior level things because then it just becomes ridiculous. And as our sport is growing, uh, we do have the race brands like Savage, Indian Mud Run. Um, and a lot of the other smaller local brands are always kind of like finding new ways to come up with stuff. And I think it's, it's always been measured in bars. Cause remember when Spartan race was like the hardest thing and then platinum rigs showed up in 2014. So that be kind of, that kind of became the new thing. And then once they evolved on platinum rig, we kind of got a few other things like Spartan race introduced the twister. And then after twister, now we have the Gibbons and then from Gibbons, we're kind of getting a bunch of just force five is coming out with a bunch of just insane obstacle grips so we're kind of like the line between i think difficulty and innovation is i think it would be we're not looking to make it impossible they, we want to make it to where we can challenge efficiency because i don't think obstacles should be impossible to do i feel like everybody should be able to do it but it depends on how fluid you can actually get through that obstacle it shouldn't be able to stop you dead in your tracks for 30 minutes it should make you go go through it a couple times and then you if you keep missing a certain grab and you're just not hitting that right momentum to get there that really is like pushing like oh maybe i need to like work more on i don't know 90 degree lock off transitions or get better at swinging kind of like pushing that kind of boundaries where i've always kind of stood is uh it doesn't need to be impossible it just needs to make us kind of question how we're going to do things i guess so really what you're saying is it shouldn't stop us dead in our tracks. It should just slow us down. Yeah. Right. So ultimately, the race is a big part of it all, and we want to continue to race. Yeah. Right. And now, then, you know, kind of bears the question, you know, in my mind, when, you know, we both just say that, yes, we want it to slow you down, but not stopping your tracks. But then obviously, 
you know, if you're comparing that across skill levels and across people, you could look at someone like VJ Jones and being like, well, that obstacle didn't stop him in his tracks. He did fine. And then you look at, you know, your, you know, regular racer maybe and say, well, that stopped him dead in their tracks. So how do you define that? Right. So that kind of obviously goes into a other realm, which we'll talk about later in the episode, you know, between pros open and all that good stuff. But um, I do think that, you know, I agree with that statement of it should slow you down, but not halt your race. Um, and finding that line is obviously the difficult part of where it seems like where we're at in a lot of series, you know, it's, and again, I, you know, we keep going back to Savage, but it's one of the only series right now we can kind of focus on since they're, you know, been having races for the past year and a half. But they're, you know, they've been trying to find that line and they've proven to themselves how difficult it is because one race they'll have, I think, I think it was a, was it Charlotte? Maybe it was, I forget which race it was uh, at the end of last year or beginning of this year where they had three, three or four female finishers total. Um, and then the next race, it was like 60%. So it's like they either make it way too easy or way too hard. So finding that line is like super difficult. And we are going to continue to bring up Savage. And obviously that was the last race that we all ran. And um, we've all had conversations with people about what happened last weekend. Um, but I was talking to somebody and um, this person was asking how the race went. And I told them about the rig. And they said, I was wondering why people weren't preloading and getting the ring to drop before transferring over. Savage has good obstacles, but when they try to get all quote unquote innovative, they end up with sketchy stuff on the rig. I'm honestly a little put off by Savage Race at this point. The bottom line is we all want a challenge, but we don't want to get injured. We all want some sort of longevity in this sport. And if I perceive a race to be dangerous, I'm not going to sign up for it. I've got kids to take care of and I can't be injured because of a janky rig. And it makes me wonder, and I'm not accusing Savage of, you know, cutting corners or whatever else, but this week I did make a post saying I thought that the design of that ring was slightly flawed. I felt it should have been on a pulley to allow it to transition a little bit easier to decrease that sudden drop because that can get very dangerous on the shoulders. We saw every single lane was completely different. Um, there was no safety measure put in place um, in that transition from one ring to the next. It was literally just a rope with an with knots and two eyelets and it dropped from one knot to the other um and i felt that it was something that should have been tested a little bit more before coming out onto a rig and i had talked to the marshal who was there who said you know savage wants to do something of the similar they just want to continue to perfect that and i think 100 percent, it's a great idea we just need to perfect it to make sure that it is safe. And as Charles, you were saying, you know, we need to test out all of our different techniques to figure out what works best. And that ring, you couldn't really swing with it while it was dropping. You had to completely let it drop before trying to swing. And that stopped everybody dead in their tracks when it dropped because it cut out all your swing if you were able to hold on. Otherwise, you had to try to avoid that ring completely, which is almost impossible for somebody my size. Um, and it, it makes me wonder, I love that Savage is giving us innovation with every single race, 
But at what point do we stop testing out different rig attachments? Not necessarily setup. I love the changes in setup each race. But at what point do we stop testing out the different attachments and just stick with, you know, uh, the, the different attachments that we've already tested out and that we already know that work? You know, if you want right, to put just the, maybe move them around. Exactly. I mean, I think back to my first year at Killington before Spartan um, synchronized what all of their rigs looked like between, you know, rings and bars and ropes. And yes, yeah, Spartan still changes up what goes where. But at my first Killington, they had a long rope that you swung across and they had baseballs. And it, it was amazing because you had different kind of attachments that you knew you've seen before, but it still left you guessing every single time. So for a savage, you, you have all of these attachments you've been testing out. When are we just going to play around with we, what we know works? And when are we going to, you know, leave the testing of new obstacles and new innovation to more of like a championship or like a bigger race? I think like um, Savage Race and their testing and creating of new obstacles every race is definitely it's become a bit of like a necessary evil at this point, because yes, they are pushing the innovation and it's something we do need in the sport. Cause let's be honest, Spartan race is not in the obstacle game anymore. They're just not, they have what they have and they're going to stick with that. They like their formats. It makes it easy for them to set up each race and they don't have to get too crazy and getting, I guess what would be an arms race about it. Um, but Savage race is one of the few, bigger i mean after what they have tough mutter and then probably savage race is right right behind them um so savage race is really the ones pushing for i mean they come up with new stuff they have stuff that's one of a kind for their race it's and i th- I, I get what they're doing like why they make a new rig every time and come up with new new things like the uh the ring i guess it would be like the ring rope pulley system i guess we call it that the drop rings uh it's a good idea and it definitely was something they put together. They've probably been thinking of, thinking about it a while, but the, I understand that they definitely are making these things last minute, so they don't. So every rig is constantly a new challenge and not something you can just come in with the same, like kind of what we said last week, which is like, you don't just come in training for the same thing. Now, if it's a new configuration, you're like, okay, well, this is how it's going to go. I guess like the best way with these new obstacles is like, they used to do it in the past. They used to put their... They used to put test obstacles in the uh, in the festivals. Granted, was that in twenty? Derek, was that in twenty nineteen? I don't know. I didn't race them in twenty nineteen. Did they do test obstacles? Yeah. So actually, even um, last year in twenty twenty, when they had uh, Maryland, like so, I went to the to the Maryland uh, fall. They actually had um, one test obstacle, which they have yet to actually bring into a race, and I actually fully enjoyed it. I think they deemed it too difficult. Um, they would put it in the open waves and if you wanted to try it you could try it but it wasn't part of the race and they did that in florida as well so like um megan's favorite obstacle um that she hit her head on uh that was a test obstacle in florida so like they are still doing it and they had yanked my chain in florida too as like a test that they didn't put in the pro wave but that they put in open wave it's like they are still doing tests they usually would just throw them in toward the end of the day or open and or like you said in the festival where you could go and just kind of play around on it to kind of gauge either interest or like if it'd be a plausible obstacle really because that was one of our 
uh, community feedbacks when we asked about it. Uh, Lynch BMX OCR said that there should be test obstacles in the festivals for us to play on. Um, and I think it's a good way to do it, but I understand they can't do that every single time when, because uh, I know Lee's their course and obstacle designer. I'm, I'm sure there's some other people and I'm sure, and Lee comes up with ideas probably like out of the blue, just wild oh, ideas. If it um, were solely up to Lee, it would end up like the one comment we got from uh, OCR uh, Daz, D-A-Z. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your handle there, but it would end up like the 2019 European Championships, and there would be like a 2% completion rate. Oh, I was wondering <laughs> what that comment was when you heard that. I was like, yeah, I don't well, understand this uh, comment. Yeah, okay. so thanks for that comment. That's So 2019 European Championships, Charles, um, in case you're unaware. Now, I don't know. I forget the exact percentage, but it was literally like a 15% completion rate for the pros. Oh, like, like, okay. for, like that wasn't just like, you know, age group. That was like pro, like 15% completion, like men included. Like it was rough. It was really fucking rough. They do a lot of like lacheing and like legit Ninja Warrior stuff uh, over in Europe. Um, but I'm curious if you're testing out new obstacles on course for Savage. What are you, where are you testing the new rig attachments that you're putting on? Because, I mean, we've talked about it. Almost anybody can say that the cheese board is not designed to be hung horizontally. So you put it on and, okay, we did it. And I'm sure a couple people went through and they said, oh, it's possible, so let's put it in. And I'm sure the same thing with these rings. But are you bringing in racers of all skill levels to say, you know, this is safe? Or what kind of testing are you going about doing for these new rigs that we're seeing? Because we're seeing a different rig each and every time. And I think even Brett said that the rig looked completely different from when he was out at build versus on race day. So... How are these being tested? And for something like this ring, you know, not pulley seesaw thing, do you have somebody going through and testing every single lane to make sure that they are operating the same? Because I remember when I went through, Derek, you told me, you know, go to the far one because it doesn't drop as drastically or as quickly. Um, but I stuck with a cheese board in the middle because it was the only one that wasn't warped. So then not only are we talking about the difficulty of the obstacle, we're also talking about, you know, the synchronization of the obstacles. You know, on, we give Spartans so much shit for, you know, not having the same kind of innovation as they maybe once did. But at least when you go through beater or when you go through the rig, you know that each lane is going to operate almost exactly the same. You can't 100% guarantee it, but you're not dealing with, you know, one beater not turning like in wheel world or whatever else. Chopper. Yeah. The, uh, I think we said blanket statement up front, like, even though as we're talking, it's it does feel like we are like focusing on savage race, but right, like we said, that's the only race we have to like judge our. Yeah, I mean, they're the only series series right yeah. now, and I think it's the only. Well, besides fit, it's the only OCR we've run. Actually, no, I ran I ran Bonefrog. Um, I can tell you, Bonefrog had some new stuff out there, but it was uh, 
it's almost like the opposite feeling of what we had at Savage Race, which are like, this is a little tricky. I remember when I went through Bonefrog's sprint, they had some new things out there and I literally walked through them. And I was like, this is really easy. Um, they had one thing there, which was I walked through it and I was like, this was an obstacle. Um, so, yeah, that is the other side. And even at FIT this year, um, full potential obstacles, Larry brought out a couple new obstacles. He had a floating inverted wall and they had it unlocked and they were getting ready to race and they found that it was um, like spinning too much. So when you would pull on it, um, it, it was not operating the way that they had tested it out. So they wound up just locking that obstacle. And it's like, that, that's a good call. They had people, you know, on it, made sure, and they deemed it, okay, it needs a little bit more work before we can let it go 100%. And they made that call on race day. And I completely applaud them for it because that is a potential safety concern. Yeah. We also, one thing we're forgetting, we also were testing and helping Lynn figure out uh, uh, Kiss My Grips. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, which they, they, we literally were like, this is when they're floating hanging board, uh, pegboard. Some of them were higher and lower. And we, uh, between my wingspan and your obstacle, like efficiency, we were both just like, this is not really doable by the standard, even just by like, I don't know, the top age group runners. This is a very difficult obstacle because they were too high and too low. So we were like, if you just kind of level them out. But Boulder Dash has a unique scenario where they're a built-in location. So they get to sit there and like test things out for every Sunday or whenever it lends out there. So that's another example. 100%. And I went out a couple weeks later and I was able to get even farther across Kiss My Grips. They've now had another person who has beat Kiss My Grips. But on race day, she saw that so few people, in fact, only one person beat that obstacle, that she then made the call after the fact and said, hey, we took out Kiss My Grips. She also took out the Jacob's Ladder, the Twisted Obstacle, which I did beat that day. Um, And she said, okay, based on obstacle completion, we're taking out these two. And then she emailed the top finishers, male and female, and said, you guys have qualified for OCRWC Pro Division based on it because we did end up taking out these two obstacles because we just deemed them, you know, a little too difficult for the base. And I know with Spartan, they have their farm up in Vermont and they, they'll they go out and they'll test obstacles up there. and. I'll, You know, we talked about Sid before we started recording. And um, plug, if anybody can help out, go throw um, Coach Sid, Sidney Morris, uh, Battle of Alliance, um, OCRWC build, throw him some money. He just um, had his um, toolbox stolen out of his truck in Texas. So if you can, try to help him recoup some of the tools that he lost. But... Um, we know he is like a, ma- a major mastermind for obstacles. Um, he is building and testing obstacles left and right. So that that's one of my big things with obstacle difficulty. You know, I love the idea of constantly changing up our rigs, you know, coming up with new and innovative things. But 
is this something that is popping up race day or the week of the race? Or is this something that's been brainstormed for a while and that has undergone like appropriate testing? Right. And I think that's the difference between a successful obstacle or rig or hold or whatever and one that's not, right? Is that it does need testing to some extent, but also um, I'm kind of along, I'm, I'm on the fence between I want innovation, but at the same time, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And a big reason why like Savage right now is struggling a lot in terms of finding that line of like too difficult or too easy and just trying to straddle the line of, you know, just right is like you said, Megan, I think they're kind of using some things on the rigs that should not be on a rig or at least not appropriately. And a big thing is obviously, I mean, the reason why the rigs went up in difficulty, you know, twofold um, from pre-COVID to now is because of the cheese board. They've used cheese boards for many years before that, but they used them the way that they were intended, which is vertically, right? They use those on the rigs for the past, like, I would say, what, four years maybe now? Um, And ever since they turned it horizontally, that's when the rig was like, oh shit, no one can pass it. Because like you said, it warps, it has a lot of issues. So what I personally would rather see um, is kind of what you were kind of, you know, hinting and leaning at Charles too, is the way, or actually, I don't know if it was you or you or Megan, one of you said it like 10 minutes ago, but of, um, even though we give Spartan shit on a lot of stuff, you know, it works because they use, you know, essentially the same stuff that they know works. Right. And that's, one of the reasons why I've grown to love Savage so much is that, yeah, they use harder holds on the rigs, but they just change it up. And that's one of the reasons why we all love um, OCR World Championships and NORAM and why, you know, their rigs, the Platinum rigs and the Force 5 rigs are, yes, they're, you know, challenging, but they're still doable and fun because you keep your ebb and flow. And it's the same holds that we've seen for years. Like, yeah, they might add one or two, like a Gibbons or a Skitch or something, but for the most part, the rigs are all the same holds. You just change up the order of them, and that's how you can change difficulty without completely fucking up an obstacle, more or less, right? So, I mean, you know, to me, it's if it's you know if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just move the holds around or change the spacing or the height. I don't think you need to be trying to be super innovative in terms of thinking of all these weird, crazy handholds. Just use the same stuff. Yeah, I think like the, uh, if you look at some of the obstacles that are definitely in the if it if it ain't broke don't fix it, or you do look at uh, you look at I know y'all haven't run a bone frog, but if you look at bone frog's chopper, it's been the same since the first time I saw it in 2017. Same obstacle, it's never changed. It does need it does need maintenance. Um, and then if you also look at like yeah, uh, Spartan did change Twister. They made it a lane shorter, but same thing. They haven't. They've got, they used, it's not a lane shorter. It used to be three lanes. It is three lanes for a beast. Oh, for a bit. Ooh, they didn't do that. Yeah. They changed now for the distance of the race, which I also to, be, to be fair, the last Spartan beast I ran was 2018. And that was the ultra. And that was two lanes at Vermont. 2018. Yeah, it was 2018. Yes. That's when I ran it. That's when I ran it. Yeah. It was two lanes. Cause that's the first time I completed it. Actually. Um, but um, Spartan did used to get frisky. Remember when they had Monkey in the middle? So, and 
And that's what I meant about like save some of these more innovative obstacles for championships because like monkey in the middle was a West Virginia thing and a Tahoe thing. They didn't bring it out to, you know, just a random Florida Spartan race. So why aren't we saving some of these more innovative things for like the bigger race days? I think it's because especially for a savage race, it definitely keeps people coming back, um, especially on the higher end, I would say. It keeps people coming back because we're like, all right, let's go on the rig this time. What's it going to be like in the fall when they come back through? Or if, if you are one of those people who follows every race, what's it going to be like in North Carolina, Georgia, Ohio, on and on and on and on. And I get that, but at the same time, you can still do that. So here's kind of where I struggle a little bit with is you can have innovation without changing anything. Now, let me explain that. You can, again, kind of going back on, you can use all the same holds. So, I mean, we have what? There's probably, at least between the three of us, we could probably think of a good like 20 holds that are true, tried, tested on a rig, you know, between T-bars, you know, um, cones, um, you know, grip balls, uh, you know, cannonballs, uh, monkey bars, short rope, long rope, nunchuck, all that good stuff, right? You can have innovation by changing the variation of those on a rig and the, um, I can't think of the word, but basically uh, the order of them, right? So I don't know why I can think of the word order. Um, <laughs> with, I think you can have variation without changing anything, meaning it's all the same things we've seen before, but it's innovation because we may have not seen a nunchuck to a vertical cargo to a short rope or vice versa, right? So I think you can still have very good innovation, but use things that everyone knows you can train for. And that, you know, is all things that we've seen. You don't have to try and get super, super creative and say, let's do, you know, an elevator dropping ring with a, you know, vertical hold that's not supposed to be vertical or a, a horizontal hold and do all that. So, I mean, and that's what they have done in the past three or four years. Like Savage Rigs have always been hard, but they've always literally used the same holds for the past like four or five years. I mean, the holds have been pretty much the same. It's just you change the order of them. So I, I think you can have the innovation. You just don't, again, necessarily have to do anything new to have that. And honestly, and I'm going to keep coming back to this ring drop because like if they would take those rings and put it on like what is that bar company like the the rig attachment company out of florida they've been at all the florida races they Uh have like um, fit bar bar. yeah fit bar if you take like a fit bar wheel so kind of similar to the beater or whatever else and you tie rings on that it's going to give you the exact same kind of um creation as what you're trying to do only it's a little bit more controlled to the where you're not putting people at, at as much of a risk with like shoulder dislocations and other injuries. It's much more of a controlled drop and they can actually transfer their weight a little bit more. So you can still swing through and it's not just stopping you dead in your tracks. And I think it's just a little bit of, you know, thinking between like a pulley or a, a wheel or whatever else, this can work. It just needs a little bit more thought behind it and shouldn't be tested out day of a race. Right. And that's like, we got one of a feedback 
um, on this question, you know, the line between innovation and impossible. And is that, you know, exactly what you just said. I oh, mean, you guys got to start doing your handles that I can read them. So don't yell at me when I butcher this one too. Uh, JB3 sticks. Yeah, that, yeah, we'll go with that. Oh, um, John, it's John. Oh, okay. Hi, John. <laughs> Change your OCR handle so I can read it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he literally said the exact same thing that you just said, right? You know, where's the line between innovation and impossible? Well, you know, when injury becomes commonplace, you know, and like you said, I think the ring drop, you know, in, in Lee's mind, the idea of that is a very cool idea, right? It's yes, just, 100%. It just wasn't executed 100% efficiently to the point where, again, I mean, I don't think it was unsafe, but I don't think it was like super safe either. It was kind of somewhere in between. Um, and that's coming from somebody who has tremendous shoulder problems where, uh, you know, it could be a, you know, a big issue. And like you said, if, if it was executed a little bit differently, whether it be a pulley system or something that has a more swing to it, like a fit bar or something, it would work right. So that's where a little bit lying comes to is when injury does become commonplace. So, I mean, it all goes back to things just need to be tested. If they're tested and they work great, just you can't do shit on the fly day of or day before race and expect it to work out, you know, really well. So the reason why, um, you know, early on city challenge had such a big issue because the two city challenges I did now, I haven't done one in like two or three years were absolute shit because they didn't test things. And then people were getting hurt on the race day. And same thing applies. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I will give uh, City Challenge mad props. I know they brought out Sid, actually, for the one in um, Lowell. And he was out helping with build. And um, LV is great in terms of taking um, criticism and um, improving the race brand. He can be very passionate so i know he has bumped heads with a lot of people but at the end of the day he hears all of the feedback and he will take it and he will continue to make city challenge race better and better um and i have never had a bad experience with city challenge race out on race day yes there are things that they can continue to get better with but he only wants to make that race brand better I mean, I think a lot of people are really open to the idea of getting good feedback and everything. I mean, well, with, <laughs> all right, people are going to hate on me for this, but obviously with the exception of Sparta, in my opinion, they don't care what the fuck you say. They're going to raise prices and do the same thing they've been doing and make their races shorter. But outside of them, I think everyone's, you know, race directors and brands alike are very open to community feedback. I mean, in all the groups, you know, Savage Syndicate, Rob for Fit Challenge, obviously you can just basically talk to him directly. Um, LV, I mean, everyone's always really good on feedback. It's just finding the thing that works, which um, before we go on to the next topic here, one last thing I kind of want to hit on to kind of wrap up the whole innovation and impossible thing is what are your guys' thoughts on what is the appropriate level of difficulty in terms of now, if, if we're focusing on this is strictly for like pro waves, what percent do you think should be complete versus non-complete both overall as well as, individually between men and women because this is going to be a good leading up to our next thing which is men men and women but um i know savage and you know kind of going back on you know they you know get good feedback like a lot of the race series they posted i think it might have been it was either lee or sam in savage syndicate like right after charlotte when only three women completed it was what do you guys want to see in terms of completion rates i think if i remember correctly the number one answer was like 40 percent complete 
Um, I am on the higher side of that number. I'm actually at the, I think 65% is where we need to be. Um, we needed to be over half. Uh, and I want that to be the same for men and women across the board. Um, because I think it really, that's where it stands the test of we're going to weed out the people who are not efficient on like, say the rig, you're just not, it doesn't fit into your skill set yet. So it is going to weed those people out while it's going to test the people who it, the pros are probably going to fly through it. If we're only talking about like the top tier pro athletes, they're going to fly through it. But I'm looking mostly at like the people we are talking about, the age group runners and basically the people in the middle of, since we're just talking about pro wave people in the middle of the pro waves themselves, it's going to, it tests their obstacle efficiency and then where their skill level is at. So I think at 65%, we're getting a better finish rate, but it's also just going to test the people who just need to be kind of pushed to that next level. Personally, I think it should be a little lower. Um, I'm more of the 40 to 50-ish percent um, because I do want it to still be challenging. I think. Um, I mean, pro isn't for everybody. And, you know, if you go into a competitive wave, you should be continuing to strive to get better. So if you're going in and saying, oh, well, over half the people already keep their band, then either it's going to give some people a false sense of security or it's not going to really challenge everybody across the board. I I mean, I'm okay with a 65%, but not like a first attempt 65%. But overall, I would prefer to see it more in that 50, 40 to 50%. I mean, Adrian has said before that he wants OCRWC to be in like that 33-ish percentage range, but it's a championship race. So I get that. Um, the percentage was a little low at Noram. And I remember sitting and talking to him and he was asking about different obstacles from a woman's perspective. And I thought that all of the obstacles at Noram were challenging, but not impossible. I thought that the completion percentage should have been much higher, um, but I don't think he should have changed anything because of it. Mm, I like I respect Adrian for a lot of things but like actually I remember seeing that like he wants that 30 percent completion rate and I don't know it just makes me push back against them like that's so I know it's a championship race but that's so low that's that's really low in my opinion but I get it it's where OCR world champs is the I mean let's, let's be honest that's the actual championship race in OCR but um, like also look at the people I mean I know I've talked to people who've said that they take you know the easiest route possible to qualify for OCRWC I've talked to people in starting corrals who've said you know I can't climb a rope or I know I'm going to give up my band so it, it's one of those things where I think if you have the attitude of I'm going to give up my band then you're already putting the race brand at a disadvantage and you're going to see a lower completion percentage just because people are coming in there with that attitude. So that's not the fault of OCRWC. That's the fault of the athletes who are taking the easiest route possible and then jumping into a championship race. 
Uh, um, uh, the one thing I would rebute on that is I have my first Noram. I played the numbers game to get in there because some waves are some age groups and waves are much harder to get a qualifier for, especially when you have people. I mean, it's a whole other discussion, but especially when you have people who are stagnant in their age group, they've been the cream of the crop for too long uh, type deal where you are just inflated numbers type thing. Um, so I could see that side of the argument where, yeah, they took an easier route to get there, but that's because they had to, you know, they had to play the numbers game to get there. Uh, I still, I have friends who want to qualify because they want to be able to do that. And I have told them to find these certain races because that's going to be your better shot. If you run a, like if you run a Spartan stadium race, that's going to be a little trickier because that's a higher wave number. Uh, it'd be things like that. That's my only pushback on that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that if you're coming at it from Adrian's perspective, saying I want it to be about 33%, okay, you also need to look at the pedigree of the athletes who are racing. You're going to have that higher percentage of completion up in the pro waves versus the age group waves. And then is that 33% also factoring in journeymen? So th- there's a lot more to this completion percentage than just what is the overall completion. Because OCRWC is the only race that is mandatory uh, obstacle completion across the board. You're not going to get, you know, a completion percentage for open waivers at a Savage or at Bone Frog or really anywhere else. It's really just an OCRWC thing. So we don't know what the completion percentages are specifically for pro versus age group versus journeyman. Right. And that's kind of why I fall into the same category as what you do, Megan. I, you know, personally, I like to see at least just for a regular uh, race, I think OCRWC is definitely a little bit of a different topic and, and ball game there, but I like the, you know, the 40 to 50%. I'll split in the middle and say 45. And, because, and a lot of it does go into the fact that, like you said, of, there's obviously different caliber of people that probably shouldn't be in the pro wave yet. Um, that's going to bring those numbers down a lot. Um, but that's where I, you know, the, the 40 to 50% is probably where I align to as well. But then that also goes into the thing of, okay, well of, you know, say the you know 40% of people that completed it, what happens if only, you know, three or four women completed it and the rest were all guys. So it kind of goes into the next thing of, you know, well, should men and women face the same obstacles? Should it be the same across the board or should they have, you know, I don't want to call it this because someone's going to bitch at it because it's 2021, but should there be handicaps basically for women on on obstacles, whether that be weights or the obstacles themselves? Because I know a lot of other sports, you know, have that. I mean, I don't know why this is the first one to pop my head because I don't even play golf. But if you look at golf, like, you, you know, you have a handicap. You're closer to the pin. So, you know, do you guys think that women and men should face the same obstacles and do the same weights or should it be the same across the board? Okay, so before we go any further, I'm just going to say it because if anybody follows me, they saw my Instagram post and we did get a comment saying that this is a man's sport and first and foremost we're not going to tolerate any of that sexism misogyny women belong in this sport and um it is very upsetting as a female in this sport to get a comment like that 
Um, so one, females do belong in this sport. Now, with that being said, I have gotten a lot of feedback on my post. And um, one person in particular, or actually it was two people, brought up a really good point about females and um, just the differences of females. Because there are, we are biologically different. Yes, we have 100%. different kind of capacities in terms of strength, cardiovascular. That being said, there are some badass women who can destroy the men. But in... Faith standing. Sorry, fuck that. I'm sorry. I'm not a face any fan, so I will correct that and say... Lindsay I mean, Webster. I would have say, said Nicole Miracle and Lindsay Webster because they actually have beaten men where I don't know that Faye has. Faye Stenning, Faye Stenning took first overall in Tuxedo. Faye Stenning also won't race OCR Worlds and cheats. But no, oh, not, sorry, not very many people went, have gone out and raced Tuxedo lately. Like, that hasn't been a race that you get a good amount of like pros. Okay. Let's not carry that's, on. This, that's fine. this will be a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> um, but no. So one person was talking about the physiological differences and how other sports play a factor in that, you know, women's basketball has a smaller ball hurdles and track and field are lower for women. It's not diminishing our abilities um, as women. It's just saying that, there are some things that we get, yes, like you said, a little bit of a handicap on. And in obstacle course racing, where do we really start implementing that? I mean, we can say the kicker on the eight-foot wall for Spartan or the lighter weights. Do I think that we should be changing rigs? No, not particularly because women are um, more natural at swinging than men are but you know some of the strength-based obstacles men definitely have that advantage for sure and i think that's kind of where the separation at least for me personally lies um because in my opinion obstacles that is 100 percent technique can you muscle through obstacles 100 percent. that's why some guys that have zero you know, proficiency and obstacle proficiency with no technique can still do a hard rig simply because they can lock off and do 90s. That being said, there's easier and better ways to do those obstacles, which is through technique. I mean, that's why, you know, there's, you know, I mean, just looking at a sport like rock climbing, you have, you know, some of the craziest and best rock climbers in the world that are women because. I mean, that's all technique. I mean, a lot of that is technique. And obviously, yes, finger strength and all that good stuff. But that's where it lies for me is if it's if it's an obstacle, I personally don't think they should be any different. You know, that's, you know, again, it just goes back to it's it's all technique. Um, do men have a slight advantage if you're stronger? Yeah. Now, that being said, like you said, women are biologically different. There's no if, ands, or ways around that. It's just a simple fact of life. So when it comes to weighted obstacles, I think I can kind of make arguments for both. Um, you know, should you carry a lighter weight? Probably. That being said, it should still be challenging to the same level of challenge that it is for men. Like my biggest gripe right now with Spartans weight stuff is uh, the tire flip. The men's tire flip is tremendously difficult for most men across the board. Whereas women, I like 
you know, even open women are like, this is too light. So, you know, it kind of goes to that of like, well, should they be the same or should they be different? Because the women don't struggle at all versus the men that, you know, they have to burpee out because they can't even do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the whole weight one. I don't know if you guys want to weigh in on that, but I think I could go both ways on it. Yeah. For me, it's very, when it comes to weight, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic because um, it's very hard to find the balance between like, I am, I'm a bigger guy, um, six, six foot and broad shouldered. I can carry a lot of weight. Um, I don't mind carrying a lot of weight. So I think it's, it's a, it's, if I were to see it to also where we were to have a weight across the board, um, I could see, even though I just said I can carry a lot of weight, the bucket carry, granted, bucket carry before we put lids on it and we were allowed to be on our shoulders. That was always trickier for me because we only had to carry it up front. Um, wasn't very good at it. Um, and if I was having a struggle with it, um, I can't imagine if they were to introduce that to like to the women as well because it's a heavier bucket. But um, I think the uh, the one eye opening thing about equal weights across the board, even <laughs> we're going to keep falling back on uh, Savage Race because we just did it and that's all we really have to work off of. But it also is like an interesting thing because uh, it was eye opening was the yank my chain obstacle because it's I did it and then maybe I got to watch you. Uh, try to get it and it wasn't an eye-opening weight because for me it was a challenge but it wasn't much but then to see you get it off the ground and then uh that was from that point it was a full struggle because you had the full like how heavy is that thing uh i believe to my knowledge it is 110 pounds total off the ground i believe so don't quote me on that but i believe okay. it's 110 that's still yeah but watching you do it and megan i know how strong you are to see that, like, I can't imagine, like, that is, it's not, that that weight just doesn't work across the board. It's just, it's, and I think trying to find, it's easy for people to say the weight needs to be the same. For races, it makes sense, because that's a money thing for, like, race companies to all have the same weight. But I think it is, that is something that is very tricky to do. And I think, Megan, on your post, the one I saw, which I was like, actually that makes sense um is when we start getting into the double carry yes and before we go into that because that is one thing that i really want to bring up um one with yank my chains i'm still wondering when they change the rule from women have to just pick it up off the ground to women have to pick it all the way up because i never heard them say that um i know that before or the race at whatever the race was before the women only had to lift it up off the ground. And then at Savage, Maryland, we were told that women had to bring it all the way to the top, which is a huge difference. But if you're going to then start synchronizing the weights at Savage for, I mean, the lumberjack lane, that's a nothing weight, but then yank my chains. Why are there two different weighted balls at that little oh, ball thing? I was, I, I noticed that actually um, when I went back through watching the open wave and I was, and when I saw that, I was like, wait, is that, did y'all, did the, that's not the women's weight, is it? So nope. Yeah. There, there's a women's weight and a men's weight. So if we're going to synchronize weight savage, like we should figure out if we're synchronizing it across the board or if it's just that. 
because again, we never heard of a change in the rule. But um, so my biggest issue with people saying let's synchronize weights across the board is the people that are saying let's synchronize the weights are the people that are running competitively. You know, they want to see more of a challenge for the pros and for the age groupers. And they're not thinking about the fresh off the couch racers. As a female, I know I am stronger than, you know, a good majority of the open waivers that are coming in fresh. And that's just, I've, I'm trained, I'm a trainer. I, I have been doing this for a very long time. There are people that come in very first race who don't do much in terms of strength training, that they go to lift the Hercoist and they need multiple people to help lift it off the ground for the women's weights. And by us or by people saying, let's synchronize it across the board, it's no longer inclusive to the younger racers. And it's very intimidating. I mean, a lot of females already have this fear of stepping into the unknown. Um, I mean, I talk to so many women in the gym who don't lift weights because they don't want to be judged for doing something incorrectly. Or they're just, they feel like they're so weak already, so why bother? And these people are coming in really trying to challenge themselves and to overcome new things. And then you want to say, oh, hey, the weight that you're really struggling to carry is way too light for people that are much stronger than you. So now you're going to suffer by having to carry a heavier weight. That's pushing people away from our sport and particularly pushing females away. Um, So that's where I love Jackie's comment on my post and said, yes, let's continue to have double sandbag carries. like." If you are strong enough and want the challenge of stepping into an age group, a pro, an elite, competitive, whatever, you are saying, I want the added challenge. So let's go ahead and throw a second sandbag on your shoulders to really slow you down and make you carry something heavier. Because yes, I agree. The women's tire is too light. You know, the sandbags at specific times are way too light. Um, we do need that added challenge, but it shouldn't be something that's completely across the board and it shouldn't um, be something for people just barely coming in for their first, second, third race who are still new to the sport. Sure. And before I say this, I would say I agree with pretty much everything you just said, but to play devil's advocate, because I actually made a video about this particular topic uh, about two years ago now um, with uh, Chrissy Shuchuk. And we, we talked about this at length. And even um, we got one of the comments on here um, on our post for it um, from Fitness for Life OCR is you know, the argument that they put is, well, they don't at OCR World Championships, meaning the rec bag. Yes. And I was actually going to also bring that up. I think OCRWC can do it and they do it amazingly, I am all for that 50-pound rec bag because they're a championship race. Again, they anticipate their field of athletes to not be the fresh-off-the-couch racers. They are anticipating coming people coming in who have raced 
consistently. I mean, for journeymen, it's what you have to have run like what five races or something just to qualify as journeymen. So they they know that you have have proved that you belong there and you can handle the challenges. So they're going to give you a little bit heavier of a weight. You're not going to get your local gym's first time Spartan race team out at OCRWC all having to carry a 50 pound rec bag. So my comment back to that, I guess, and again, playing devil's advocate here is I think now I'm talking strictly in terms of, well, actually not even just in terms of carries and obviously like hoist and things like that. Um, I do believe you could use a weight that both men and women could do. Obviously, it will be easier for the majority of the men. Obviously, there's women that are stronger than some of the guys. Um, but I think there's a weight like the 50-pound rec bag that even your regular person can do. It's just obviously going to be a little bit harder for the women than it will be for the men. But I think you could still do it across the board if you were to pick that correct weight. And the reason why I say this is that and actually, I think one of um, our replies back, yeah, it was, uh, it was John again. You know, the very first thing he said, and I, and I can agree with this, is it's a competition separated by gender, right? Your women aren't competing against your men for podiums and vice versa. So I do think to play devil's advocate, you could have a weight across the board for everything that everybody can do. Yes, it's going to be easier for the men and harder for the women, but it's not going to make a difference because the people that you're you know, directly competing with, it's going to be the same. You know, the other women that are struggling are also struggling with you and the other men that are easy for, it's also easier for them. But the point of an obstacle again is not, you know, or at least the way to carry is not to not be able to do it. It's just to slow you down. Like we said earlier, same thing about the rigs. It's meant to slow you down, not haul you in your tracks. It's meant to fatigue muscles that you're not fatiguing when you're running, whether that be, um, you know, a carry or a hoist or whatever. It's supposed to fatigue your muscles, um, your muscles in a different way to slow down your race. So I do think you can find a weight that both men and women can do that's going to affect them the same in terms of slowing down your race by some capacity. It's just going to be harder for the women, but I don't think it's going to matter because it's women competing against women and men competing against men. So that's why I do think and can see both sides of the coin there and argue both both sides. I think back to my first time at Palmerton. I ran in the late morning, early afternoon, you know, 100 degrees, humid, miserable. And it was not my first Spartan race. It wasn't anywhere near my first Spartan race. But I remember getting up to the sandbag carry, and it was only a single sandbag at that point. But everybody around me was dropping their sandbag in the middle of that hill and just walking back up the hill without a sandbag. And these were, you know, first timers or very green obstacle course racers. They had deemed that the sandbag was already too heavy for them and they were just going to leave it right in the middle of the hill. And if we start standardizing those weights to one consistent weight, the women will continue to get discouraged in the newer, greener racers. And not to say everybody will, but you will get a degree of, you know, discouragement. Um, it's demotivating. People don't want to put that weight down and walk off without it, but there becomes a point where they're so miserable 
that they just want to get off that mountain. And if they feel like they can't even complete a sandbag carry or her coist, some people may say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And we could be losing somebody who just wanted to feel a sense of accomplishment. And maybe by, you know, beating this obstacle that they thought they, you know, could get through, oh, well, I can't do it. It's way too heavy for me. I'm not even going to come back. And now we're losing out on yet another obstacle course racer. And I don't want women in particular and men. I've seen men drop their sandbags too, but I don't want the newer obstacle course racers to get discouraged by this. That's what I was going to bring up. The point was if we were to do a flat weight across what happens in the open waves, because I've actually have always been an advocate of how is this going to look for the people who are going to be joining the sport? Um, that's kind of how I've always looked at almost any obstacle, especially when it comes to safety measures. That's one of the main things I look at. I'm like, oh boy, if this was someone's first race and they saw like how unsafe that was, that's going to be bad. Um, but uh, my main stance on like the weight thing is like, I just, it's one of those things that's like, I don't know if we're ever actually going to see a definitive answer on this because it's, it's, it's tricky. I think to be honest, uh, Spartan kind of has it right, but I know people have played with it with Spartan where they want to kind of figure out the weights of it. Um, and it's like, from, like I said, from a, from a race director standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to just do a flat weight across the board because you're saving money on something that's already wildly expensive. But you look at the flip side where it's going to be causing problems down the road. Um, when it comes to the, I've done an article on it with Yank, my uh, on rule changes, especially with what happened with the Yank, my chain, that it's a whole different conversation, but like changing the rules on the fly is never a good idea. Um, and then kind of looking at, uh, where was I going from there? Yeah, just kind of looking at like kind of looking at the double sandbag carry. It gives me probably the closest thing I could ever say to having PTSD, which is the double sandbag carry from Vermont 2014. Um, oh Jesus, don't even bring that up, dude. You're yeah. giving me PTSD yeah. now. <laughs> I remember doing that and I remember doing it and when I had two bags. I was on that thing for like 40 minutes. I was there for a while. Um yeah, I was there I think for an hour. That was my f- second race ever in my first beast i'm like what the fuck Um, am i doing i remember laura mesner passing me and i was like she's like you're having a hard time on this i'm like yeah because i had two of them and i was like it's like (laughs) it's like imagine if you had two the two of the bags right now because it was a and they weren't even good sandbags but no they were like those shitty like plasticky burlap bags yeah but um yeah, when it comes to the same weight conversation, it's just very it's it's a I think that's a harder one to answer than like facing the same obstacles because the the people like when you're talking about facing the same like rigs, it comes down to like how we're gonna figure out how to get through this rig. When it becomes to weights, you're like, how do we standardize this across the board? Cause it's one of those things you can't please everyone, and then it becomes a question of our sport is any united sport like the NFL, like baseball, like, you know, the major sports where they have one standard set of rules. Since we have competing race brands, everyone's going to want to do something a little different. Um, we had, 
Battlefrog actually did the same weights, but they were lighter. Uh, Bonefrog has certain things that are different. Bonefrog has two different weights for the their their hoist, but their carries are the same weight. Um, Spartan Race has separate weights for everything. Savage Race uh, is constantly sw- switching things up, but uh, they do need to. Remember when Savage Race made us used to make us carry two different timbers? Yeah, the very first Savage Race I ever did, you had to carry two. I mean, and again, I mean, they're stupid light, so it didn't make much of a difference. It was more so just a let's make it more cumbersome type of thing. Yeah, the, the, I kind of stand on it. It's like, it's some, not something I can easily, it's not something we can easily answer because it's going to be, until we have one set, uh, like one set sport in mind where it's never going to happen where Spartan Race, Savage Race, everyone lines up and follows the same set of rules or standards like we're not going to be able to find a difference because everyone's going to want to do their own thing you're going to find one radical race brains and be like fuck it everyone's carrying a hundred pound wreck bag i don't know that's just an example like throwing it out there you're just going to find like they're going to want people who are going to be like our heavy carries are the heaviest so that becomes like their niche or stuff like that that's kind of where i like stand on it But really, it's not just the weights. I mean, look at like stadium races. I think to my first time running City Field, I ran with a guy who didn't really train at all. It was his first race and he struggled that entire race. We got to the box jumps and I went to the quote unquote men's box and started jumping and he stayed at the women's. And he couldn't jump. He was stepping up and the volunteers were saying, oh, hey, that's the women's. That's the women's. He flipped him off, said, you know, fuck you. I'm doing this one. Like, just let me finish. And to him, it was just a sense of accomplishment just to be able to step onto that women's box. And if he would have listened to the volunteers, he probably would not have had the same kind of overwhelming um, joy in finishing that race because they were trying to make him do something that was so wildly outside of his wheelhouse that he might not have gone back. And that's what I keep coming back to thinking like, yes, we want to continue to increase the difficulty, but to what extent? And I think we had a comment from Lynn from Boulder Dash this morning that I woke up to where, um, what did she say? Said, the difficulty is likely to continue to increase as participants continue to master the current levels of the course. There is one question with all the new innovations surrounding rigs and grip strengths. Are we edging out the world? of OCR and inching our way into Ninja. With all that said, it's important not to forget that OCR is for everyone. In order to keep the sport alive and growing, we need to be inviting to beginners and intermediate runners, giving them an open playing field to enjoy the sport and grow their skills. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Like, we can't let this sport get too difficult to where um, we are then kicking out the other um the open waivers right and i think that kind of you know begs a question of then so that you know ocr doesn't become an include or a you know exclusive thing and because like you said we want it to be inclusive for everybody is 
you know, then should races offer different obstacles for those different skill sets, right? Because it's different when you're, if you're looking at a pro versus, you know, a totally new person OCR, you know, should there be different obstacles for those different skill sets and how they should go about doing that if that's the case? Yeah. And I think all three of us kind of are on the same page mm. when it comes to that answer. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, so. You guys both um, didn't make it out to Fit Challenge this year, but you guys know Larry. Um, and th- this does also speak to the men versus women thing, but I think in particular it definitely is much more of the open versus the pro or elites. Um, but when we were starting off for the pro wave, um, we were just clarifying all the rules and Larry came out and said, you know, in the new double up, there's a men's and a women's side. And for the devil's playground, there's men's and women's side. And we looked at the double up and we're like, well, the women's side is very short. Is that, and we, is that why that we, side was short? I thought that was actually for the open wave. So that that's kind of where this fits in as well. And all of the women were like, what? That's very short. And he just came back and said, listen, like, I'm not about to answer any nasty emails on Instagram because people were bitching that we didn't take the women into account. So ultimately, yes, it was there for the open waivers and you guys know Rob as well and he is very much a do what you can challenge yourself on the course I don't give a fuck about if you're doing which side if you're in open um just do something that challenges you um and yeah Larry has made it very clear that with his obstacles he does have the two lanes because he wants to make sure it's inclusive for absolutely everybody. Yeah, I wouldn't say I think we all agree on it, but also I don't know, Derek, where you stand on it, but... I'll save mine for last. <laughs> like, I've seen the different options when it comes... I mean, Savage, I, I actually didn't know Savage Race does it. They, they, they change their obstacles by the time Open Wave comes around. They started doing that when they started making the rigs a lot you know, basically exponentially harder as of like in the middle of COVID is when they really started that again with, you know, the cheese board and, and the cargos. They didn't start doing it until then, to my knowledge. Like the only brand I've seen that tried it in the, the past tense is very important. That is Battlefrog. Yes, they tried it. Yep. And the thing is why I applaud them for at least giving it a shot because it was something we didn't see. Spartan Race has the same thing across the board. Um, but at that point, Battlefrog was like one of the only contenders there. Um, and that, But I like the idea. I like it. It's good on paper. I like the idea of multiple difficulties. But if we look at the sport as what it is, which is financially, it's not feasible. It's just, it just doesn't feel feasible to have three different lanes. Because who can afford a rig that can hold that many people like Battlefrog had six lanes and if anybody got to run some battle frogs that shit got backed up like, oh, yeah. like if you weren't there in the first wave you were fucked it's it's gonna get backed up it's just not it's not feasible and it's not doable when it comes to the masses because then if you only have two open lanes what's gonna happen when you just have open wave after open wave like imagine if spartan race did that like imagine if spartan race in their numbers they had uh, they had an elite wave age group and then, a, then an open wave. 
dear God, the open It's funny that you say that because um, John, who we've mentioned, he ran Battle of the Lions last weekend, and he said that there was actually an obstacle that he skipped because it was so incredibly backed up with like pro racers. And it's like, you need to have the lanes and the capacity for these obstacles, especially if you're doing, you know, a pro or an elite mandatory obstacle completion. Like we know it's going to get backed up, but you have to still allow it to be accessible for everybody. And I know with Savage, when I came through, you know, they said anybody, Anybody coming for their first attempt, you can head straight to the front, whatever else. But then, like, I had been there for a little bit. And before I left, they were already taking down a couple of the lanes. And if I wouldn't have moved on when I did, they were taking down the lane that I was using to make it into the intermediate lane. And at that point, it's like, well, you have these two lanes with super shitty cheese boards that are completely warped. There's no way I can get through them. So I have to move on at this point because the lanes that you have aren't standardized to be the same across the board. Each cheese board is a little bit different. And it's like, I, if you are going to have multiple difficulty lanes, they should be there from the beginning and not be changed in the middle of the race because it does create a lot of hassle. It does take time um, away from the racers who are actively mm-hmm. competing. Yeah, it created that uh, the one thing it created that cutoff, which when people I think when you were at I was there with you at the rig and they were like, oh, how much time do you have left to cut off? I'm like, I think I asked you, I was like, what cutoff? Like, I've never heard of the cutoff at Savage Race. And I think that's, if they were to, like, if you were to create easier lanes, that's the only way you're going to do it, but then you are negating the thing we all support, which is mandatory obstacle completion at that point. We are the people who would rather, there are people who push back on us at this, but we believe in spending hours at an obstacle just to get it. I've we've we've all done it on different obstacles, but if there's a cutoff on that, then because they have to change in the lanes, it becomes a little bit of a problem. Exactly. And then if you're putting up a less difficult lane and somebody is there fighting for their band, they're you know distraught and people aren't really watching who's to say somebody isn't going to go and use one of the easier lanes keep their band because you know it's now getting so crowded and there's so much you know hustle and bustle you know it could happen it could i would hope not i would really hope not yeah yeah it goes back to a racer integrity and pride thing mm -hmm. though too yeah because we we have seen at OCRWC, you know, the people hiding their bands or whatever else. But um, just another thing to take into account with it yeah. all. It's, uh, yeah, it's just, well, actually, I guess that's our opinion. Derek, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, in a perfect world, now, again, this is perfect world. Money's not a question, whatever. Yeah, I would love to see. Um, a beginner, intermediate, and pro elite, whatever you want to call it, three lanes and have enough lanes for everybody. Like you mentioned though, Charles, that's darn near impossible for pretty much every race brand because one space and two just time or um, mm-hmm. money, right? You, it's just mm-hmm. like 
not feasible to do that. Like you said, Battle Frog tried it, um, and it was great until you either got around on your second lap, or even if you were like you know a couple waves deep, you would literally be sitting there for twenty minutes till you could try the mm-hmm. obstacle. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, I would love to see it. In actuality, I think the only way to do it is kind of doing what Savage is doing and changing it on the fly after pro's done. It's just, again, you run into the issue of like you guys just mentioned, but I think that's the only feasible way to do it because in my mind, I do agree with a lot of the feedback we got. I'm not going to even try and pick one out here because a lot of them are the same, but I do think if you're running a leader pro, you should be better at obstacles. That's one of the reasons why you're a leader pro is either you're a better runner or your better obstacles, or you should theoret- you know, theoretically be better at both. But I think you should have harder obstacles versus an open waiver, especially if you're a weekend warrior or just someone coming out to try for the first time. I mean, I know one of the things for you, Charles, when you got into OCR was you said you couldn't do monkey bars, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't think there's a way, well, I guess there is a way to make monkey bars harder, aka beater. But um, I never got to try beater. It's really it's- not that hard. Yeah, is not. Do they even do it? That's actually a question I've wondered for a bit. Do they do that obstacle or is it gone? Yeah. No, it's yeah, on yeah. the Super and Beast. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got such a Super and stop running stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably a bad example, but obviously, I mean, I do think elites and pros should have harder obstacles versus beginners. It's just a matter of how you do that. And I think the only feasible way to do it is doing what Savage is doing to an extent of, all right, we go ahead and do that. And then after all the pros run through, or at least, you know, 90% of the pros are at least right around where the cutoff is or right at the cutoff, change it. Uh, it's just a matter of the whole time element of when the open wa- um, wave runners are coming through, which honestly is one of the reasons why I think I can't fully say this. I know why, but I think this is why they always make their hard rig at the end so that they have time to change it out for the open waivers to come in. So, you know, because that gives them more time until they get there. That being said, though, and a lot of feedback we got, again, there's multiple people that, that said this. You know, um, Miranda, she's given us feedback on other episodes, too. She runs pro, but she said that, you know, she doesn't want to see them take away and do different lanes because there are a lot of people that are in the open wave that are like, well, how am I going to know if I'm ready for a leader pro if I can't do an leader pro lane? Right. I mean, there's a lot of people that are open that are like, well, I at least want to try it, you know? So if they're not given the option to try it, they're actually discouraged from moving up in the sport because they don't have the ability to try it. So I do think in a perfect world, again, you would have all three lanes, but the only way to do it right now is what Savage is doing, which is, you know, make a beginner intermediate and, and pro lane for the open waves. That way they have their own decision on what they want to try. Yeah. But with that, uh, with that two-hour time cutoff, which is not a lot, that's uh, what it, it's a six-mile course. Um, um, it it changes. Okay, it changes, but still, like it's, it's anywhere between it's anywhere between like five and a half to six and a half. They've been on the shorter side uh, lately. They used to be, honestly, um, up until like COVID, they were actually all more so all about seven miles, pretty much every race that I ran. But now, since COVID and since their obstacle have gotten a little bit harder at the end they've been five and a half to six tops Maryland for me i think was like five nine five eight yeah um but like if they're gonna be changing stuff like that i the two hour time cut off i don't agree with in general because i mean we've all had a shit race where it just takes us a while to do stuff like if if you're gonna start changing lanes especially if it's mainly if it mainly comes down to i think it was just the rig that was 
a difference in difficulty. It's usually what it is. Um, and they did leave a pro. If they're going to leave like two pro lanes up, then at that point, why do you, if you're going to leave two of the pro lanes up, why are you going to have the cutoff? I know the cutoff is to make sure it's a fair competition at that point. So there, if there was a possibility that someone's like, I'm going to try and sneak through the easier and intermediate lane. But I don't know. I think, yeah, the way Savage Race is doing it's feasible, but um, yeah. I just think that's the only way to kind of do it because, again, I do, I would honestly, you know, a perfect world have all three lanes because I, I do think you have people that they just are going to look at a regular rig like that for a pro rig and be like, I don't even want to fucking try it. But then you also have, what's that? That's a tight. But then you obviously have, and I mean, and I, I've seen this a lot when I, because um, I volunteer a lot for Savage. I've actually volunteered a, a shit ton for Spartan and stuff too. Um, and I see it a lot from the open wave racers that come through where they'll get to a certain obstacle if it's the same across the board and it's a little bit harder. And for the pros and the elites, they will literally look at it and just go, nah, and literally walk around it and not even try it. So I think having some other difficulty there, you know, people feel like they're getting their money's worth and getting their experience worth if you have, you know, the separated difficulties. And if you want to try harder, great. If you want to try easier, again, great. So in perfect world, I would love to see it. It's just, there's definitely, it's, it's hard to do that because of what you guys said with, with time constraints and everything else. That's why it makes it so difficult to do that. This is where I will applaud Spartan because I think having the increasing of difficulty, at least on their rig, and I mean, they do it with the Olympus and a couple other um, obstacles. As the races get longer, the obstacles become more difficult. The rig has more attachments, you know, the Olympus, they have those cannonballs on the end as like a grip stop for the super but then they're not on the beast um they are trying to increase the difficulty level as the race length increases and it gives people a solid benchmark i've told a few clients okay you want to jump up to age group so let's set a goal for age group sprint First, try to run clean at a sprint, then you can jump into an age group sprint. Okay, now you've got all the sprint obstacles, you can run them 100%. Jump into a super, see how you do with that. Can you get all of the super obstacles? Okay, maybe now you can jump into that age group super um, because you know what you're going to expect or you can handle a little bit more challenging of the obstacles. Um, My only caveat is I wish Spartan would make like half the lanes of the stadium races more challenging on the rig for the elite and age groupers. So my counter argument to that is, so first and foremost, I see why they do that for exactly the reasons you just said of, all right, we're going to make it harder. The longer the race gets, you kind of progress that way. Hi, Titan. (laughs) Um, My counter argument to that though, is that, what about the people that don't like to run a beast? I say this from personal experience because I'm a short, I'm a short distance runner. I'm more of a sprinter, right? I specialize in short course. So why then do I have to sacrifice having to do stupid, boring ass, lame obstacles 
because I want to only specialize in running, you know, their sprint distance. I want to have those obstacles that are in the beast and that are in the super in the sprint, but now I'm unable to. So that is my counter argument to that is what if someone is a specialized distance runner or a specialized sprinter and you're not being able to run those obstacles now because they took them out and did the format of what you just said. That's my counter argument to that. And I, I completely get that. Oh, I miss Twister in a sprint. I get it 100%. Um, I completely agree with you in that perspective. Um, for the competitive side of it all, it's up. for the open waivers, I completely understand where it's coming from. And that's where I said, like, I would like for in maybe like a sprint because or a stadium race where there isn't a lot of backup in the elite and age group waves at these obstacles. Maybe then you can change the rig to having something a little bit more challenging. There's, again, no perfect way of doing it, but I do understand why Spartan does what they do. Yeah, so um, kind of going back on it a little bit here in terms of just different obstacles and different lanes. Uh, one thing we didn't mention that I know can be a hot topic when it's mentioned, because I see it mentioned from time to time, and it just kind of comes and goes on like different forums with Spartan and Syndicate and all the other stuff, is um, the different lanes with height. And it also goes against to the obstacle difficulty, because people are like, oh, well, this overwall, and I, I think we mentioned earlier in the episode of having you know, footholds on walls for men versus women, but also height for rigs and walls and everything else is, you know, doing the different lanes for that. Um, I know that's always a big hot topic of, well, I'm short, so this is harder. Or I'm tall, so this is harder and all that good shit. 100%. And I am somebody, I mean, like you, I am on the shorter side. And I have made the complaints about not being able to reach rigs. And a few years ago, Spartan did instill their rule where you couldn't climb the truss to get started and a bunch of us looked at them like well how do you expect us to actually reach the obstacle then and there was controversy between is it just for women or can men use it and if women or if men are allowed to use a box to get started which i am of the belief nobody should ever um, be challenged to start an obstacle. Everybody has the right to start the obstacle, so everybody should be able to use the box or whatever else to get started on an obstacle. But then there is the kicker on the walls that are only for women. And I understand, like, biologically, women don't have as much power and explosiveness to jump as high and this is where, you know, biology plays it into a factor. But if you're telling men they can use the box, men should also be able to use the kicker to some extent as well. And where is that line? Right. There's definitely, I mean, it kind of goes back to a lot of what we said in this entire episode of there's a lot of gray area mm -hmm. in just all of OCR as a whole, right? And like you said, Charles, there's not one set of standardized rules or, a, you know, standardized playbook of like, all right, this is OCR. This is what you need to do. And I think that's where the problem lies with this entire topic of 
obstacle difficulty, multiple lanes, men versus women. There's just, there's so much gray area where it's literally everyone's going to have a different kind of thought process on it. And I think that's where a lot of the problems lie. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something I've, I wrote a whole article on it back in, uh, I think it was the end of 2019 because that was, yeah. Uh, 2019 was the year everybody decided to start changing rules on the fly. Um, Excuse me. And I wrote an article for Mud Run Guide about it because it's something that is easily relatable to another sport I watch. Uh, I, I watch a lot of mixed martial arts and I followed it for years. There's certain states that don't abide by the standard rules set. So you do see things happen in fights where it's legal in one state, but it's illegal in the other. I actually watch where they get, they've had fights stopped and they're like, the fighters look around like, what happened? I was like, and the ref's like, you can't do that here. And like, you kind of see that happen. So when we are constantly changing these rules and we don't have a final rule set set in place, our sport is never going to have a final answer on whose weight are we going by? Uh, are we allowed to use this height or get on the trust, which uh, y'all brought it up when I was stepped away from the microphone. I remember seeing that rule come in where they couldn't climb the trust. And I was like, this is stupid. It, not being able to climb the trust for a, a problem you designed it to your obstacle. Um, and then also negating that, what's, what are you gaining by that? Like, there's no way me being able to climb the truss, who I'm six foot, I can almost touch eight feet with my arms up. What's the, what, what would I gain by being able to climb onto the truss to get onto the rig? I shouldn't need to do it. But now that they're bringing steps into it, that's another thing. But yeah, like, it doesn't give you any advantage. It gives no one exactly. an advantage. So like, I, I don't understand that rule. It's a disadvantage because if I have to climb up the truss, I'm using my grip strength just to climb. I mean, I think back to Fit Challenge again in April, and he still had that giant storage box there so I could start Gibbons. But then I got to the monkey bars and... They were so high. There was no bar to get started on. I look at the volunteer and I'm like, how do you expect me to get started with this? She's like, you're elite, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, you can't, you can't ask people for help. I'm like, yeah, I know that. But what do you also, want me to do? You also can't grow a foot of height. And <laughs> nowhere. Rob was nowhere nearby. She's yelling, trying to find him. And I said, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to climb up the side, you know, monkey up it and get started that way but at the end of the day like it did take something out of my grip it's a bit and most roast races at this point though are getting better at that like we said smart spartan started getting having the boxes there bone frog has started doing them sat race has like a pole or a box started everything at this point so they are getting around to it um some of them are higher too i did notice that um because i have to well, yeah um, even uh savage um I don't know if you took notice, but they have uh, lower and higher lanes for uh, their anchors away obstacle for when you swing. I was wondering if that's. I did not notice higher... that. I didn't know if that was a if that was a pro versus open wave. No, so not. they're uh, it's, it's all the right same. Thing. Yeah, so it's all the okay. same. Um, but they did make a your your up higher versus mm. down lower. Mm. Um, okay. just so you can easily reach uh, the rings better to start. That's how they did that one. Interesting for. Yeah. The twirly battering, whatever, as well. I I saw somebody told me about that after I had um, made, I jumped to make my first attempt. And 
Um, then they're like, you know, you can like go to the side that's a little higher so you don't have to jump to this. So that's what I did. Now, did, because I know when they first did it years back, men weren't allowed, but did, did they change it for uh, Spartan for the uh, boxes on the like monkey bars and rigs? Because I know when they had like the red boxes, it was initially that men couldn't use it. And then people flip shit because like, what if I'm a small fucking dude? Like, I need it. I don't remember. Men used the box in age group mm. before. Yeah, I, I'm realizing as Wait, we talk about this, I'm a bad better, reference yeah. for Spartan Race. <laughs> I haven't Megan, run you know any of stadiums. <laughs> Megan, do you know if men can use the boxes on like monkey bars and rigs for Spartan to reach? Um, from what I remember, they have been allowing men to use them. I think they... All right, because I know it was a shit show. Personally, I think they need to put boxes on more lanes because those lanes get so incredibly backed up and um, a lot of the females need the box to get started. And then if you also have men coming in and using the box as well, it's just um, prolonging our wait time. Um, so they should have boxes on like every other. Yeah, because obviously there's a, there's a lot of short men in our sport. <laughs> Honestly, some of the better runners are short men. I'm just very thankful that I have pops and i don't need to use it but i know there's a lot of guys that use it and like you said it then backs up for the women who you know is what it's predominantly for obviously the women are just naturally shorter so it does create a backlog there but but you also shouldn't have to jump to get started on any kind of rig monkey bar anything unless it's designed that way right unless it's designed that way right which without going into super detail because i know we're coming up on time here that's why, like, part of, and again, I, I apologize, I'm backtracking hard on this, going back to the innovation part. One thing I would love to see more, and it ties into the whole jumping onto the rig thing, is I would love to see um, obstacles be more innovative in sense of having more than one way to complete them. Example, uh, I guess it was Noram, technically. I, I don't know if it's OCR Worlds or Noram, since they use the same venue now, I get confused. Um, but whatever it was in 2019, Noram, yeah. Uh, the Ryan Kempson rig, or Matt Kempson rig, or whoever the fuck rig. Uh, that is, to this date, my favorite rig of all fucking time because there was like six ways to complete it. That, to me, is innovative because you can do it six different ways that take multiple different uh, approaches to it and either take a long time or a short time. Um, for those that didn't get to do it, really quick rundown, you could either climb a rope and then go across the monkey bars and complete the rig. You could swing on the rope to the middle of the rig, or you can do what um, I did and run and jump straight to the middle of the rig, um, which was like a, basically a hanging cargo net. But I would love to see innovation like that where it's the same obstacle, but you can do it three different ways. And I think that honestly is a very good way to kind of not eliminate, but do what we were just talking about of having three different lanes without having three different lanes because you can do it the harder way which is the riskier way but the reward is that it's faster so high risk high reward or you can do it the slower easier way so i think that honestly could be a way to do the whole multiple lanes thing without having actual multiple lanes as well now that i think about it so i would love to see that more of that going back to our schedule episode when we talked to hildervat they were saying that they want their rigs to be something of the similar they 
think that people are really going to enjoy the pro tournament because their obstacles are going to be more of the um, risk versus reward decision making. And they want to see people testing out different kinds of techniques because it is going to be a head to head battle. Yeah, I mean, so when it comes down to it, you know, it seems like, I mean, even between just the three of us, we have very different opinions on a lot of things, but we also have a lot of similarity on a lot of things. So, you know, when it comes down to it, there's just, I mean, when it comes down to, you know, especially obstacle difficulty, multiple lanes, men versus women, there's just, there's too much gray area to give one definitive answer, right? It's always going to come down to who you're talking to, what their skill set is, and what they prefer and what they're best at. And Honestly, I think that is what makes OCR so special, but at the same time so challenging is that there is no definitive answer. There is no playbook. There is no one set of rules. And that's why we have the you know plethora of race options that we do in terms of Spartan versus Savage, you know, Tough Mudder and um, you know, Fit Challenges, you know, the list goes on and on. And I think that's why there are so many, because each one kind of does their own thing and typically specializes in one thing or the other, right? So you, you know, it really comes down to what do you like? What do you prefer? What you're best at and where your values lie. And that's why, you know, you need to find that race series that kind of fits and molds to all those things, or at least most closely matches to what you prefer and stick with that. And, you know, every race kind of has their own niche. And I think that's why OCR is very successful across the board, even though it is so different. It's because it caters to literally everybody. You just have to find that race series that caters to you. Yeah. I think the, uh, the best way if we were to somehow give advice to any of the races out like race directors, companies out there is if we, we, if we did want to actually find answers to all of these is for race companies to be open to racer feedback and actually take it into account, which we are seeing a lot of people do, but that is kind of the best way that we are going to find a way to, we have, answers to a lot of the questions that we've been posed and the questions we're going to have for a long time until we are on a fully united front or you just, we keep doing the way that we do. Like you said, Derek, you find what works for you. And that being said, as a community, we do need to be more open and inviting to other criticisms as well. You know, we have this podcast specifically so people with differing opinions can let their, you know, feedback, criticisms, whatever else be vocalized. And we're going to continue to vocalize what we hear, what we see, what we feel. And as a community, we should continue to be open to that criticism. We shouldn't tear people down for having a differing opinion. This place is, this sport is such an incredible sport. We are built with so many differing people of, you know, different backgrounds, athleticisms, stories, and we should continue to celebrate those differences and not crucify or criticize people who don't share the same opinions as you. If you wanted to be a part of this conversation, and if you want to have your feedback concerns about the sport heard, uh, you can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook at Middle of the Pack Pod. Uh, you can also find us on Gmail at that at Middle of the Pack Pod. We'll read emails. We are open to any feedback, conversations, questions, stories. I enjoy talking to people in the community in general. So if that's where you wanted to uh, get your voice heard, let us know. Reach out. 
And if you have any ideas for upcoming topics, definitely let us know. We are very much open to ideas as well. Plugs. Derek. All right. Yeah. So thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Obviously, it's just my first and last name, Derek Rosansky. I'm not going to tell you how to spell it. Figure it out. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, which is obstacle underscore activist, and my forever dying YouTube channel, which is also obstacle activist. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at sabertooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. And that's where you can find me. And I am Maggie B A T C on Instagram. I am also the OCR trainer on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember, I am also currently accepting new clients. If you are looking for more help in obstacle course race training, it is theocrtrainer.com. So thank you all for listening, and we will catch you on next week's episode. Uh, until then. <laughs>